Father, thank you that we can sing the words, it is well with my soul. Not because there are no sorrows, not because there's no hardship, not because there's no pain or suffering or sickness or death, but because as your word says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you that through Jesus, we have peace with you. Peace that surpasses all understanding as God, as Jesus guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray this morning now that your Holy Spirit would help me to speak only your words in weakness so that your power would be put on display and you would give us ears to hear and see more of Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Um, so my name is uh, Michael and uh, it's a joy to be here with you again this morning, WCC. I've, I've preached here before, and it's always a joy just to worship with you and to open God's Word. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 10. Um, and uh, it's going to be a familiar story. It's the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And it's one that, that's so familiar, right, that, um, I mean, everyone in our culture knows it, the term Good Samaritan. But as, as we listen to this story this morning, I want us to be asking this question, or give me this question in mind. What is Christianity all about? If you had to describe to someone just a sentence, what is Christianity all about? How would you answer that question? I think the answer I most often get is something along the lines of love God and love neighbor. And those are indeed the two great commands but I don't think that's the heart of Christianity. That's second. The heart of Christianity that we're going to see in, as Jesus is teaching this morning, is much more radical, much more grace-centered, much more about Jesus than maybe we would first answer. And so as I read just Luke chapter 10 this morning, I want us to keep in mind that parables have a context. That Jesus is telling this parable, this story, to make a point, to a specific audience for specific reasons. We, we often forget that. And so I want you just to really zero in as I read and listen for who is Jesus really talking to and what seems to be the point that Jesus is making. And really notice too the, the structure of this passage, that there's, there's a back and forth. The story of the Good Samaritan shows up in the midst of this back and forth between Jesus and the person he's talking to. And I think as we notice that, they'll help us see the point of Jesus' message much more clear today. So listen as I read Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, or two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so context, like I said, is really important to this. And I want to illustrate why context is important before we look at this passage from the movie Frozen. It's my favorite Disney movie. I think it's the best Disney movie of all time, in my opinion. And there's a well-known song in it called Let It Go. And the song Let It Go has become kind of this anthem of like self-expression and self-empowerment. Like if I just follow my desires then everything will be good. But the song shows up in a context, the movie. And in the story of the movie, Elsa's kind of going after what she wants does not lead to freedom. It actually leads to a land frozen in ice and snow. And even when her sister comes and finds her, she realizes, oh my goodness, the problem is inside of me. I'm not free. I'm still chained. And it's only when her sister Anna sacrificially lays down her life for her and then is raised back to life to rescue her. Sounds a little familiar. Um, Only when that happens does Elsa finally get and goes, oh, it's about love. And that's what sets her free, the love of others. See, if you just took that song on its own, you would think it's all about self and pursuing your own self goals. But when you put in the context of the movie, you realize that the message of the movie is saying the complete opposite of the song, let it go. The context shapes meaning. And the same thing with this parable here. The context matters. So notice in verse 25, and what we're just going to do is just going to walk through this this morning and apply at the end. Notice in verse 25, there's an expert in the law, someone that knew the Old Testament inside and out. They were an expert in what the law said, what it's about. And we're told that he stood up to test Jesus. He's not here asking Jesus for good advice. He's not here honestly wondering what Jesus thinks about something. He's trying to put Jesus to the test. He's trying to trick Jesus to get him to fail a test that he already knows the answer to. And he just wants to see if Jesus will give the right answer. He wants to trap Jesus and be like, gotcha. See, I knew you weren't that great a teacher. He's trying to test him. And so he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, eternal life is the prize, right? It's full life, life with no death, life to the full with God, perfection, like that's, that's the prize, as he says, from a law approach, what must I do? What must I do? And I love what Jesus does here. He does something that I think we, we can take a, a cue from. When sometimes people come at you with like hostile questions or trying to trick you, Jesus doesn't answer him. He, doesn't, he rarely answers people when they come at him with those kinds of questions. He always turns it back around with another question. So he goes, okay, you're an expert in the law. Verse 26, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You tell me what the law says, right? 
And the main answer is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. It's Deuteronomy 6, 5. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, 18. And he quotes the two things that Jesus in other spots says, these are the two great commands. If you were to obey these two things, you would keep the entire law. The whole law is summed up in these two things. If you want to love God perfectly and love your neighbor just as you want to be loved, you would completely fill fulfill the law. And maybe you're surprised, but Jesus, when the man answers this says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. It's actually, he's, he's playing the law game with them. The man said, what must I do according to the law? And Jesus says, you're right. That's what the law requires. And if you were to go to Galatians three, Paul tells us the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. The way the law works is simple. Obey and you live. Disobey and you're cursed. And you suffer the consequence. It's, it's really black and white. That's how the law works, right? It's black and white. It's simple. And so the man has, has correctly answered the question says, and Jesus says, okay, that's, that's what the law says. Go do it. And I look at verse 29. The man wanted to justify himself. Now we don't tend to use that word a lot. But the word justify here means to be declared right, to be declared to have passed the test, to be declared perfect according to the law. So basically, he's come to Jesus and Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And the man answered, love God perfectly, love your neighbor. And so now, obviously, if he has to pass that bar to get eternal life, he wants to know exactly where that bar is. And so he wants to know, where's that bar? And so he asked, seeking to be declared right, who is my neighbor? And the reason why he asked that question is because at the time of Jesus, there was debate about who is your neighbor. So if you were to flip to Leviticus 19.18, you would read, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So some Jews were saying, see, since you don't bear a grudge against your people, your neighbor is only, only our people. We only have to love other Jews, just our peeps. Those are the only people that we have to love according to the law. And there were some Jewish teachers that were saying, you actually only have to love Jewish people that keep the law. So all the people that break the law and all those scumbags out there, you don't have to love them, just the good people amongst our people. And there was another group of Jews called the Essenes who said, only if you're part of our little club, our sect, do you count as a neighbor. And so you see what they're doing? They're trying to say, how low can the bar be? So I can be declared that I've cleared it. How low can that bar be? After all, it's easier to love people that are like us, right? And isn't that true? Like, isn't it just easier to connect with people that have the same interests as you? Isn't it easier to meet people who think the same way you do, that vote the same way you do, that have the same uh, things like to do in their free time, right? It's, it's just easier. It's easier to love people that are just like you. It's harder to like people that are different. And so you can see why there's this, there's this desire to make the bar as low as possible. And it's in this context that Jesus finally gets to the parable. This is important. He doesn't tell this parable to someone who's asking Jesus, what does it look like to love? Because they really want to know. He's telling this parable to someone who's like, hey, Jesus, how low can the bar be so I can be declared right in clearing it? And so Jesus tells this parable. Right? Someone's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a very kind of, there's ravines. It's a perfect spot to ambush someone. The guy gets ambushed, beaten up, 
left half dead, we're told. And a priest comes along, probably from Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, maybe on his way to go actually serve in the temple. And back in those days, a priest might only get to go serve in the temple once in their entire life. And this man's beaten up half, half dead, right? He, he can barely recognize the dude. So maybe he's thinking, I don't know if he's one of us. Maybe he's one of them. If I only have to love one of us, you know, I can be off the hook. Plus, if he goes over and touches that guy to see if he's okay, and the guy turns out to be dead, he's now ritually unclean and he can't go to the temple. He'll lose his, he'll, he'll lose his opportunity to go serve. So maybe he's sitting there thinking, man, you know, I'm sure someone else will help because I'm going to go serve God at the temple. That's really important. So I'll, I'll just leave this guy. Someone else will help him. We tend to be so hard on this guy, but, you know, I, you can maybe see why he does it. And the Levite comes along and he's on probably his way to the temple too and does the same thing. And at this point, Jesus' audience was probably expecting that the hero of the story then will be average Jewish Joe. Not the priest and the Levite, but the average common guy, right? But instead, what does Jesus say in verse 33? But a Samaritan. Now you might read those words and be like, all right, I'm Samaritan, what up? But a Samaritan, just to know a little context, they were the people that when Assyria invaded the northern kingdom of Israel in the 600 BCs and took them away into captivity, they took all the important people, the rich people, the politically powerful people, and they left all the lowlifes behind. And those lowlifes married with people from other nations, which was a problem not because of ethnicity, but because when you married someone from another nation, you started worshiping their God. And God's like, no, you can only worship me. So they become this, this set of half-breeds ethnically, but they're this mixed uh, religion thing. They're kind of Jewish, but they're not. They don't worship at the temple. They worship at a different spot. They only read the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they're like these like mongrels. And so Jewish people would walk miles to avoid a Samaritan town. They had nothing to do with them. In fact, when Jesus at the well with, with the woman in John 4 starts talking to her. She's like, uh, did you miss the memo? You're Jewish. I'm Samaritan. We don't talk. Okay. Uh, this isn't how life works here. Right. And I, I think about this, how oftentimes the half, the mix, someone gets treated the worst. Like I remember someone that taught me Sunday school when I was a kid and, and he grew up in a native American reserve. His dad was white and his mom was native American. So he was hated by both sides. Didn't fit in the white world, didn't fit in the Native American world. Because he's half. So the Samaritans were that. There is just so much animosity towards them. And suddenly they are, he is the good guy. Because he comes along and maybe they're thinking, okay, well, maybe if Samaritan shows up in the story, maybe the guy's not dead and the Samaritan will finish him off and steal the last of his money, right? That's what the Samaritans would do. But no, the Samaritan sees him, takes pity on him bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine in him. That stuff costs money, right? He, he puts him on his donkey. So now he has to walk the rest of the way. Or maybe if the donkey was carrying his stuff, he's got to carry that stuff on his back so that this beat up guy can be on the donkey. And then he goes to an inn, probably a Jewish one, where May's going to get some dirty looks and pays to take care of him two days wages. And then basically says, and anything else, put it on my tab. So if this expert in the law was saying, how low can the bar be? Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. I flipped this around. I've set the bar really high because it's the other that you have to love. 
and you have to love at cost. You are trying to trick me and saying, do you pass the test, Jesus? But Jesus is saying, do you pass the test? And it's not a test of who is my neighbor. It's a test of what kind of neighbor are you? And look what Jesus says in verse 36. So he sets up this whole story to ask this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the Samaritan. Anybody see that in their Bible? Nope. He can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan because he hates them so much. You can almost imagine mom and me like the one who did mercy. Hey, that guy's the hero, right? Like he is just like, he is not happy about this. And it's hard, I think, for us to really feel this because I can explain that all to us. But this was a story and stories have power. And so I want to try to retell the story of the Good Samaritan in a way that might make sense for today. And I want to say in such a way that hopefully there's a little bit of us that goes, Ugh, I'm really convicted because that's how it would have felt to them. So maybe this isn't perfect, but here's kind of my attempt. There's a Watoma police officer that's driving down 21 and the deer comes out and he, and he hits it and goes off the road and crashes into a tree and he's knocked unconscious. And one of the pastors in town is driving on down 21 on his way to Oshkosh. And, and he sees the police officer crashed over there, but he's on his way to Oshkosh to pray with someone before surgery. And, and time is of the essence. And he goes, you know what? I bet someone else will, will call it in. And, and so he, he moves on. And then a Republican representative of the area, you know, he's actually on his way to Madison for a committee meeting to fund the police more. And he can't be late for this committee meeting. And so even though he sees the police officer's car, he goes, well, someone else will call it in. And he moves by. And then suddenly another car comes down the road. And it's got some bumper stickers on it. Vote Biden. Defund the police. Allah is God. Black lives matter. And the car pulls over and a young black man steps out of the car. And he goes over to the police officer and he calls 911 and he cares for that police officer. And he waits when the ambulance comes. When the ambulance comes, he, he follows along behind and he gets to the hospital and he waits in the waiting room while the police officer is in surgery. And he asks how much the bill is and he takes out his credit card and he says, I'm paying for that. And he says, and by the way, if there's any other bills that come up, I'm leaving you my credit card number, throw it on my credit card. Is that who we expect? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? The one who showed mercy. And maybe you're feeling like, whoa, that's really convicting. And then you hear the words of Jesus in verse 37. Go and do likewise. He's saying, this is what the law demands, and it's not a problem. The law is good. The law shows God's heart. And the law says, love anyone and everyone, regardless of how different they are, and regardless of how much it costs you. Because that's how God loves. That's God's heart. And if you want to earn your way into the good books of God, that is how you have to love. If you want to earn eternal life, if you want to make sure you've passed the bar by your own efforts, 
That's what it's going to take. And hopefully you're feeling a little bit of what the expert in the law was feeling. All of a sudden that bar that he was hoping was down here, all of a sudden is way up here. And he's going, wow, I am totally screwed. I will never clear that bar. No way. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can make it through today loving everyone like myself. And selfishness runs deep. I can't clear the bar. Because that's how the law works. It says you must do this and then you will live. And if you fall short, you are toast. So why would Jesus say this? Maybe it's because Jesus is trying to point out that the law will never save you. Not because the law is bad, but because we can't do it. Go ahead. If you want to earn your way in his good books, just go and do likewise. We so badly want to be the good Samaritan, don't we, when we read this story? But if we're honest, we're much more like the priest or the Levite. And we come up with all kinds of excuses, but we struggle to love. We struggle to love. We can't make it. And so if you can't win at that game, maybe it's because Jesus wants to bring you to the end of yourself. So you can ask, is there some other way to inherit eternal life? And the answer Jesus gives is yes, it's me. He told his disciples earlier in chapter nine, I'm going to Jerusalem to die and rise again. Because Jesus is the only good Samaritan. Jesus who left his home in heaven to come dwell among us, to live for us, to perfectly obey the law, then to die for the very people that were nailing him to the cross, to die for the very disciples that are like, Jesus, we're with you to the end. Oh wait, there's danger. See you, Jesus. He died for them. He died for me and you that fall short every day of loving this way. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. That's Jesus' heart posture towards us. He says, I can make a way. And so if you want to know what is Christianity about, it's not primarily about what you or I do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about how Jesus died and rose again to make us his family. And he doesn't say, now, let's really focus now on obeying. He says, no, just trust me. Trust me that when I say to you that just because I died and rose again for you, you're in, you've cleared the bar. That just because I died and rose again, that you're called my beloved child. That just because I died and rose again, God declares you to be perfect because he sees me when he sees you. That's the way of grace. Paul says the end of the law is Jesus. The whole point of the law is to show us what God wants us and to show us that we can't make it so we can say, I need a savior and his name is Jesus. That's what we need. So what I've been praying all week in preparation for this is that for some of you this morning that maybe walk in and you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I check the boxes. You know, that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. You check the boxes, you do what's right. I'm pretty good with God. One of my prayers for you is out of love that you would like the expert in the lobby realizing I'm in a world of trouble. 
because that's not good enough. That's not going to pass mustard. Now you would be brought to the end of yourself, the end of your reliance on your self-effort. Now, others of you I know have been praying for this morning, have walked in this morning, and you know that. Maybe even come to a church gathering, kind of expecting that, well, you know, what religion does is says, here's what to do, you're a screw up, and so go home and try to be better next week. And you almost just come expecting to hear this word of condemnation on you. And instead, this morning, I want you to hear from Jesus that he says, no, that's not the way my kingdom works. I want you to bring you to the end of yourself so you can see that actually just because of what I've done, you're in. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt's been paid for. The shame taken away because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And then some of you maybe like, you know that, but maybe you're like me where sometimes you just start to drift, right? And all of a sudden you start drifting to thinking like, well, I better really try hard for Jesus today or else he's going to be mad at me. You know, or something bad happens, you're like, oh man, it's because I missed my Bible reading this morning. Now Jesus gave me a flat tire. If I only would have read my Bible this morning. Because you slip into thinking that somehow you need to do something to get good with God. When over and over again, God's saying, no, just trust me that I've done it all for you. And when all of a sudden you realize you've been loved unconditionally by God, and you don't have to do anything, Maybe all of a sudden in that freedom, you'll find yourself saying, you know, I kind of want to love my neighbor because I've been loved. Not because I have to, but because I get to. And there's a freedom in that, that Paul describes in another spot of scripture as the Holy Spirit then producing the fruit in us. See, we can't go and do likewise. The bar's too high. We're too frail. We're too sinful. We're too selfish. But as we realize we can't do it and Jesus did it for us, and we just trust in that good word alone, then maybe, just maybe, as we rest in his love for us, we'll find ourselves wanting to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so aware this morning of just how far short I've fallen. And yet we've been singing this morning about your love. We've seen Jesus point out that trying to earn it is never going to work. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen our hearts through faith so that Christ might dwell there. And we might grasp with all the saints how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That you would help us to just abide in your love and to see you produce the fruit. That you would call those of us who are scrambling like mad and struggling and fighting to try to do something good to just rest in what you've done for us. So you can produce the good. For those of us who, who have thought that we are fine, we don't need you, we've got this, that you would bring us to an end of ourselves so we could discover the freedom and grace you give us. And I pray that every person here would, would know the Holy Spirit, you would take 
your words and press them into our hearts that we know at the depth, the core of our being, your love for us in Christ. That we would rest there and just live from the overflow of that. Pray this in your name. Amen.